Did you have a good day yesterday and a good night last night? I went to a sad meeting yesterday afternoon. I went to the baseball game. And uh, I enjoyed myself, but I know that you fellas are a little disappointed. But you can't win them all, right? Let's just uh, take a moment to review what we talked about yesterday. Because I trust that each day kind of uh, flows into each other day. The subject we're going to be covering today is um, it's a hard subject for me because I've struggled through what I'm going to be talking to you about for a lot of years and have only begun in the last year and a half, begun to realize what it means to get a measure of victory over a very, very, very difficult area. I think it strangles the body of Christ today, causes us to be less effective than we ever could be prevents many believers, maybe most of us, from reaching our destination of Christ-likeness or being the people that God wants us to be. And we have a lot of wounded people, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, we have so much pressure that we live in. I was out with one of the students last night, and we were having dinner, and I was talking about the difference in the environment that he lives in versus the environment that I lived in many, many years ago. It's so totally different. What you see every day, I would never see when I was a young person. I would have to search and hunt and look very, very hard, and I still wouldn't be able to find it. And that's why when you look at the aspect of what's happened, when Jesus Christ saved us, we became a purchased possession of God the Father. We became his. And to just to believe in our heart of hearts that what God has for us is his purchased possession, what he paid for us, what tremendous great value we are. If we can just believe that what he has for us is the very, very best. We can choose a lot of good things. There's a lot of believers today that are doing a lot of good things in good ministries and good programs and good businesses and good families and good churches, but they've really missed the best. You sang something a few moments ago. You repeated it several times. What you say to me, in fact, I wrote it down. Whatever you say, I will do. I will obey. It's are pretty strong words. They're easy to sing them, but they're a lot more difficult to live, aren't they? It's hard. It's just hard. And I'm not standing here today to tell you that I'm a man who has arrived at the pinnacle of spirituality. I'm the holy man. I'm a man who struggles every single day with temptation, with tests and trials, Satan wants me to fall so badly, he wants you to fall. And he'll do everything in his power to try to make that possible. But I'm thankful today that I can move through that process that God has for me. The process of change each and every day. My final destination is to be like the Lord Jesus. As little change as possible for an earthling when I arrive on the other side. There'll be a great change, but I want the change to be as small as possible. And the key to all of it, I'm firmly convinced the key to all of it is this. It was on the center of your pass out on Monday. Yes, Lord. Never begun to experience what I've begun to experience in the last three years. I'm 60 years old, as I mentioned. I've been saved since I was 11 years old. I was brought to church before I was born. My whole life has been consumed in church. I love church. I love this environment. I love to be on a college campus and a Bible Institute campus. There's no other place I would rather be. I'm looking at unbelievable potential. On Friday, we're going to give you a two-page pass out to 
try to help you live beyond good intentions. As I'm in business, I see so many people that they set all kinds of objectives and goals for their lives, all the great things they want to do, but they're all intentions. Very few move it into action. And I want to give you some steps to follow to help you in your personal lives, in your families eventually, in your marriages, in your careers in business or your careers in ministry, to be able to be people of action. Because God has wonderful potential built into all of us, and he wants us to perform at a peak level based upon what he's placed within. He'll never ask you to do something you can't do. We were talking before, a few moments ago, about long-range planning. I do very, very little long-range planning. I'm a man who really likes to plan for today. Oh, there's some that we have to do. Because I realize from God's word, he only gives me today. No one here is promised tomorrow. I have to be very concerned about today, from the moment I get up to the moment I go to sleep. And if I'm focusing on tomorrow and next week and next year and five or ten years down the road, then I can't concentrate upon the key critical issue, how am I going to live today? Today focus. Now, I'm not eliminating planning and organizing and controlling and leading and evaluating and all these functions of management. And we're going to cover some of those on Friday from a context to help you, not from a business 101 category, but from the context of helping you move through the process to be the men and women that God wants you to be. You know, as we talk about salt and light, I'm thinking a lot about that these last few days. I wrote out a little definition of being a salty light, which was in the center of your pass out. A life that influences. Several months ago, I took that word influence and I began to write on the left-hand page of an eight and a half by 11 paper how I could positively influence someone. And then on the other side, I put right opposite how I could negatively influence that same person. I filled two pages. I don't know how many lines are on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, maybe 30. So I probably had 60 items. I just kept writing one after the other and saw, wow, how, what a tremendous thought it is to influence and how we can be a positive influence or a negative. And I thought about the life that influences through creating a thirsty, pure, favorable desire for truth and communicates truth. Do people hunger for God and God's truth because of what they see in your life and in my life? I want to read a letter to you. I had it here on Monday. I didn't know if I should read it, and I said to the Lord, don't even let me remember it unless you want me to read it. I think it's a salt and light letter. I'm not reading you this letter to elevate myself because it's also a rebuke. It's the only letter I've ever received, and I've had a lot of people working for me over my career. This is the only one I've ever received like this. That's a rebuke, but it's also an encouragement because my life has changed in the last three years. In U.S. News on the newsstand, there was some salt and light announcements just a few weeks ago where it talks about the Christian capitalist. And it talks about various men of God in the various areas of business. And most of the article is very, very positive. And we see this in our environment. Some of it is a little bit cloudy and some of it, I think, is a rebuke against God and God would not be pleased with it. But this article was very, very positive. But about nine years ago, I had a young girl working in our office. Her family was from Uruguay. And uh, she was on a 
high school program where she worked half a day for us and half a day at school. And she graduated from high school and they wanted her to have a job and I was looking for someone to be my secretary and they said she doesn't have a lot of skills. She's got a lot of determination but she doesn't have a lot of skills. And I'm a pretty impatient type of a person. I'm an ants in the pants type of guy. I like to be moving all the time. I like to get up early and get started and get going and and I want my life filled. I just uh, have a hard time doing nothing. That's the kind of a person I am. I got to thinking I'm not a good trainer. I love to teach, but I'm not a good trainer. I'm not good at reading instructions. You know, going through a training manual, forget it. Someone I want someone to tell me, take me through step by step. But I took this young gal on and we sat and had a little interview. I began to ask her some questions and found out she was from a broken home and really felt in my heart she wasn't a Christian, although she had some experience uh, back east a couple of years be- before this, but really couldn't identify what it was all about. And we began our journey together. It lasted four years. I began by dictating some things to her that I wanted her to hear. Like a personal testimony, I would say, now I'm going to be speaking here and I want you to type this for me and I would dictate my testimony. Or I would have something something that I really found that was rich in God's word that day and I would dictate it to her and have her type it. So over a period of months and years, she was typing this information and we would have some discussions and she fell in love and she came in to tell me that she fell in love and, and she had no one to talk to and I really counseled her on this and uh, I won't go through all the details of it, but uh, I told her that if she made a couple of decisions, it was really going to affect her marriage long term. She had to be very, very careful about her relationship. She almost became like a daughter to me. In fact, about uh, I get very emotional thinking about it. About three months ago, my wife and I had dinner with her and her husband and their little girl. And uh, at the restaurant, she said, uh, let's pray. And we began to pray for our food. And I got in the car and I began to cry. I said, can you imagine how far she's come in the last five years? Her husband now knows the Lord. Well, I had a 60th birthday in January. And um, my wife wrote to a lot of people and said, I want you to send something. Some were funny. Some of my friends, you know, just kept ribbing me. Some were made me cry. This one, I've only read it three times. This will be the third time. In the last two times, I couldn't finish it. I really question, should I read it? But we're in a salt and light. And a lot of you are going to be in a business environment. And I prayed for this young gal. My wife prayed for her. And she said that my wife told her about this book. And she had some important things she wanted me to know. She said, I want you to know the difference you've made in my life. When I met you, I was really heading down the wrong path that would only bring me pain and sorrow. Your love and friendship and the father figure you were and still are to me helped me transform into the person I am today. Both you and Maggie, which is my wife, showed me the true meaning of what a marriage really is about and that working at it will only bring happiness. You also demonstrated such a strong faith that made me reevaluate where I stood in the eyes of the Lord. I also want to thank you for having confidence in me that I didn't even have in myself. With a little confidence, a person can go a long way. Bruce, I will always remember what you did for me. 
You and Maggie will always have a place reserved in my heart as long as I live. I think everyone needs someone in their life to really make a difference. I know you have a few people who have probably made an impact in your life. But I can honestly say you were the first to make an impact in my life. Thank you for making a world of difference in my life. My husband and children, thank you too. I have on the bottom here great blessing, but I also have great rebuke. Where are the other letters? It really caused me to realize in the marketplace what an influence we can have on people if we allow our lives to be used in a godly way. I wasn't the same person the first two years that she worked for me as I was the last two years. In fact, when I left the business, so to speak, and, and kind of divided my time, she left to be a full-time mom, and now I was expecting her second child. But I thought about this whole aspect of Christ-likeness, that I am fundamentally a spiritual being, someone said, created by God to display Jesus Christ in real life. Right there is that premise. And I trust as we go through this material today and as, we, as you look at your life, living in the environment where you live, that you'll be a person who has not only a thirst for God yourself, but you'll have a thirst for God that will create a thirst in other people by the conduct and character of your life. Character is everything. Without character, you have nothing. On the notes that you have in front of you, we're going to be going through this. And this is like a skeleton. And you're going to have to build a lot of meat on it. I trust that some of you will take the time to go through it several times. You'll look at the scripture verses. You'll write the scripture verses out. You'll memorize some of them. Because we can only begin to just uh, cover it quickly. We have uh, about 35, 40 minutes maximum to do this. But I want to give you something that if you follow through on it, it'll change your life. When I was a young man, I was involved in a lot of things in my personal life that I am ashamed of today and would not mention to you. I began thinking in a way, and back then before my marriage, responding in a way that was not pleasing to the Lord and the way I conducted myself. You see, at salvation, as we're going to see, we receive a new mind. But let me tell you, that old mind stays there and it never gets better and you can't improve upon it. The mind of the flesh is always polluted. And the more pollution you build in, the more Satan has opportunity to throw these thoughts up at us on a regular basis. And for multiples of years, I felt that there's no way I'm ever going to get rid of these thoughts that permeate my heart and life. And then, of course, through the years, you know, you see things, you look at things, you read some things. Not that you're involved from a physical perspective, but you are involved from a mental perspective. And I struggled and struggled and struggled. And finally that day, as I mentioned to you on Monday, that this man challenged me concerning yielding my life to God, surrendering it to him totally and completely. And he began mentioning the things in your life that were not pleasing to the Lord. And I got one day to the mind, to my mind, and I thought, what would happen if I gave my mind to God? And I had that desire to be a pure thinker godly thing because I hadn't been this is only two years ago I was 58 years old struggled and struggled see we're in a war it says in 1st John 519 we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one it says in 1st Peter 5 8 be self-control be sober be alert be vigilant be on your guard because the devil 
prowls and walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I want to read two quotations to you. It's a lot of truth to them, but they're also sad. One is written by Harry Balmines, who was a student of C.S. Lewis, and he says, Most of us don't think much like Christians. Our minds instead have become secularized. We look at almost everything from a human point of view and fail to recognize that God is still in control of the universe. You let God be God in your life? Do you? I had to think about that in these last few years. Am I willing to let God be God in my life? The one who rules and reigns and controls? Then he went on to say, for most Christians, there is nothing unique about our lifestyles. We just talked about that, the salt and light aspect. There is no longer a Christian mind. We think like everyone else. I trust that isn't true. But you know, as I look back and reflect on my own life, there's a lot of truth to it. Psychologist Paul Vince says, many Christians have embraced a cult of self-worship. We are primarily concerned with self-fulfillment and self-satisfaction. Now, in the notes that you have in front of you, it talks about the battleground. And we're in a war. We've already mentioned it. A constant war. In fact, Paul felt it. He says, you know, in Romans 7.23, he identifies the factor in a war. And then he says in verse 24, you know, who will release me? I've said that so often. Why can't I change the way I think? Then he says in verse 25, oh, thank God. He will, with the new mind, it says in the Amplified, I serve the law of God, but with the fleshly mind, I serve the law of sin. And your mind is where the battle is. You can't live differently than you think. You can't do it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 23, 7, a man, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are no different. How you think is a barometer of your spiritual dimension. Your feet, hands, body, your whole aspect of your life will go where your mind is and do what your mind tells it to do. That's the controlling factor. And now item number two, it talks about to unleash the power within. Uh, I have here in front of me something that I mentioned to you on um, Monday. Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins, number one bestseller for three years. Almost every day you can find his 30-minute infomercial. He says, awaken the giant within. His other book, his new book, is Unlimited Power. He says, boy, I'm telling you, you can take control of your mental, emotional, physical, and financial destiny. Give yourself a gift of personal mastery. You can master yourself. You can be your person of destiny. Whatever you want financially, you can have it. You're willing to pay the price and focus it in your mind. And, of course, this started many years ago with Norman Vincent Peale in there's a lot of scripture. In fact, it's interesting. In his new book, Unlimited Power, I was telling someone yesterday, in one of the chapters, he's got our scripture verse. You know, it kind of fits it all in. You pick it up and say, wow, there's a scripture verse. It must be good stuff. It's a very good marketing tool. But Norman Vincent Peale began back in the 40s with his positive mental attitude philosophy. And he says, believe in yourself. Create your own happiness. Remember, you can if you think you can. And the positive mental attitude philosophy says... Whatever the mind of man can believe, he can achieve it. Now, there's a lot of good things about positive attitudes. Life is attitude. In fact, I believe it was um, Chuck Swindoll that said that 
life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. And I'm a very positive, positive person. I'm almost told I'm Pollyanna at times because I'm always looking for the best and looking for the positive. And the positive aspect and the positive mental attitude, you know, will produce hope and it reduces pessimism and it encourages determination and stick to and getting the job done. And I believe in all of those things. They're very important. But see, a spirit-controlled mind focuses differently. It's believing in the word of God and being directed by the spirit of God, knowing that the power within is very God himself who wants to rule and reign and control our lives. And the world philosophy, as we've just spoken of, filled every bookstore with self-help books. And you could read them and get some good help in some areas, but it won't change your heart. They ignore the problem of sin. And they fail to see the spiritual as a controlling force. It undermines the basic truth that we are to surrender, not control my mastery. I've been through that. I've lived that way. I was in the insurance business for five years. I had 200 corporate clients. I left and went into ministry. I went back into business. We have over 5,000 ladies that are selling our product. And I'm involved in a business with a very godly man who started this business, who gives me the opportunities I shared with you to be able to do what I'm doing today. And I've been in sales all of my life, and I do a lot of sales training and sales motivation. I believe in it. But I say back up a little bit and realize that until you do this and you're being motivated in the right direction, the focus has to be on being the person God wants us to be. On that relationship. We're too anxious to do it. What are you going to do with your life? I want to say, what are you going to be with your life? If you be with your life, you'll automatically do with your life because the doing follows the being. And if you don't do the being, you won't do the doing correctly. And all these functions tells us to, from the world's perspective, to find out what you want to do and then do it. A lot of it's good, but a lot of it isn't the best because it's not focused upon God. Number three talks about a choice. You've got a choice to make. In Philippians 2.5, it's a great verse. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine? We have the mind of Christ at salvation. How did we get it? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2, especially verse 2, talks about the fact that uh, our minds became renewed, transformed. We got a new mind so we wouldn't have to conform to the things of this world. I was listening to a tape by Howard Hendricks a couple of weeks ago, and he said something that I hadn't heard before, and I wrote it down. He said there's an interesting thought about transform and the word renew. For example, they're going to put on a screen the picture of a caterpillar and a butterfly. This is the illustration of transforming. It's called like a metamorphosis. I once was a caterpillar crawling along the ground, and now I'm a beautiful butterfly flying through the air. Now, can that butterfly go back in and become a caterpillar? Uh-uh. Not possible. It's a transformation. He's an entirely new creature. Now, I have the old mind of the flesh, but I have a new mind, a transformed the mind of Christ living within me. And he said that transformation is a passive verb. News to me. I mean, what I know about Greek, you know, it's uh, what I read, not what I study from the Greek. And he says it's done by another. And only God can do this. He has done it at salvation. But then he goes on to say that the word renew was an active verb, which means I am responsible for the overhauling of my mind. God gives me all the tools and he says, renew it. 
Renew it. Change your character. Change your conduct. Be like Jesus. You can think like he thinks. It's up to you. I began to study during these last couple of years. Wow, can I really? Yes, you can. Or I could also live with the mind of the flesh, which is told to us in Romans 7, 23 through 25, that you can look up later. And verse 23 says, you can have the appetites and wills of the flesh. You can be a prisoner to the law of sin. You can look at all the works of the flesh that are given to you in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And it covers a multitude of areas. And some of you are involved in those areas. Some of us are involved in those areas from our thought life perspective. But then there's a great relief given to us in Roman numeral 4 here. We have the equipment needed to be able to get the job of renewing done. We have the word of God in prayer, but in the middle we have the helmet of salvation. He's going to put on the screen that helmet of salvation because what it does, it protects the mind. It's the protection for your thought life. That word salvation is a victorious word. We're delivered from the penalty and power of sin, as Romans 6, 7, and 8 tells us. And everything that comes into our mind comes in through what we see and what we hear. And it influences the thought processes. But a helmet does you no good unless you wear it. When I was in the jungle, I started talking about a helmet a few weeks ago. And I said, now you know what American football and this missionary had been there for 50 years. She's shaking her head. No, no, they don't know what American football is. She shouted out in the meeting. I said, they've never, they don't have any television sets here. They've never seen an American football game. What a tragedy. Can you imagine going through your whole life without seeing the Dallas Cowboys play? I can't even, I can't even imagine that. Those poor people, poor people. How about the St. Louis Rams? Maybe it'll happen, huh? But that helmet, you have to wear it. Ever seen someone riding down the street on a motorcycle or a scooter with the helmet strapped to the back? They have an accident and hit their head? It's going to help them? Uh-uh. That's what Hendricks was saying in the illustration of, I have the responsibility of renewing my mind. It's my responsibility. I got the tools, got the word of God, I got prayer, and I got that helmet, protection of my thought life. But I have to do it. Then we talk about the next step. How do we prevent these thoughts from coming into our minds? I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse number 3, <clears throat> 4 and 5, it talks about breaking strongholds and establishing a proper way of thinking. And just kind of hold your finger there because we're going to be looking at it as we go through some things here. But on the, on the screen, there's a television set, or if not, there will be one momentarily. There is one. Now, I had to change this illustration in the jungle a few, couple weeks ago because they've never seen a television set. So I used a radio with two channels because they've had some short rave with the missionaries and a couple of them have got transistor radios and they can pick up a few things. But it's not as graphic as this. How many of you like to channel surf? If you're married, I think they need to put in marriage counseling now, channel surfing, because wives don't like it. My wife hates it. When my wife gets up from the couch if we're watching something and goes upstairs or someplace else, I'll say, honey, I won't channel surf anymore, I promise. She says, you can't promise that. Because you cannot watch TV without channel surfing. Now, if we had a TV like on the screen, we wouldn't have a big problem because it only has two channels. Only two. 
that has a spirit channel has a flesh channel. Who controls the remote? You do. I do. Ever channel surf? We're kind of saying to ourselves, I wonder if it's gone yet. Oh, it's not gone yet, Lord. A couple minutes later, it's got to be over now. Why do we do that? Because we like to put our minds in a situation what we're seeing on the screen. We don't have to. I have the control. I don't have to. I make the decision. I can change the channel. In fact, there's a great verse in Colossians 3.2. It says, and set your minds and keep them set on what is above. It says, stick it on spirit-controlled channel and keep it there. My wife said, if you're going to watch a ball game, keep it on one ball game. Don't watch four of them. If you're going to watch the news, keep it on one news station. Don't watch three of them. She doesn't know how intelligent I really am, but I can watch three and four things at once. Because it says the higher things are not the things that are on the earth. Keep your mind. You know what that word set? I looked up that word set. It's a basic orientation and thought patterns of the mind. Includes a person's affections and will as well as his reasoning. It's your affections and reasoning, your thought. It's just rejoicing and singing. And maybe 30 minutes later, I asked my wife, who is my secretary most of the time now because my office is at home and not at the business. I said, honey, I want you to need to type this. And she typed it and it wasn't right. And we tried to get it fixed. And I got irritated at her and I fussed at her and wasn't kind. And I thought, man, less than an hour ago, I was in the Holy of Holies. And here I am fussing and acting like a something I shouldn't be. I had to apologize and ask her forgive me. Isn't it amazing how fast? I thought of Peter. You know, Peter says, thou art the Christ. And a few verses later, he's rebuked by the Lord and says, get behind me, Satan. It changes just like that. How long does it take to change a channel? Instantaneous. How long does it take to change the way you think? Bang, instantaneous. What do you do with it? Leave it sit there or move it off? How are these mental strongholds established? Well, a thought comes into your mind like we just mentioned. You've got a choice to make what you're going to do with them. I used to let them stay there sometimes a long, long time. But boy, I tell you, it's so great. It is so wonderful. It is so marvelous to be able to have that thought come in and immediately want to get rid of it. You gotta want to get rid of it. Because you have a choice, as it says in B there, what action to take. Romans 8, 5, and 6, if you want a really a good study in verse 7 also, uh, you can look it up in the Amplified, but it says concerning the attitude of Satan, those who are according to the flesh and controlled by its unholy desires set their minds and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. So if you use the, your little mental remote and you keep it on flesh control, you're there to what? Gratify the flesh. The lust, the impurities, the things we know we shouldn't be involved in. Things that prevent us from being like the Lord Jesus. We haven't surrendered it to him. We haven't given it to him. But then the attitude of Christ, it says, but those who are according to the spirit and controlled by the desires of the spirit set their minds and seek those things 
which gratify the spirit. It's your choice. Remember we said on Monday, your whole life is determined by choices, not desires or intentions or goals or objectives. Your life is determined by choices. I make lots of choices throughout the day and so do you. I made some choices today already coming here not to look at a couple of things that I could have looked at. Made those choices. This morning when I was up early and involved in some things, some thoughts came to my mind, I had a choice. Get them out immediately. Immediately. You know what a toehold is? I was at a conference, leadership conference in um, Florida back in February. I hope this isn't too bad for you in the front row. But. And I found out there was a mountain climber there. And I made sure that I had lunch with him. I waited at the door, sat by him. I said, tell me about mountain climbing. Rock climbing was his specialty. Do you have special shoes? Yeah. I said, how much space do you need to stand on? He took a knife that was on the table. He turned it sideways about that wide. He said, less than that. I thought, wow, less than that? I thought, uh, he said, no, your shoes won't work. I said, what do you call those little things you pound in the rock, you know, so you go up by step by step? And when he told me what they called him, I couldn't believe it. You know what they call him? Any rock climbers? Friends. Friends. I thought, wow, all these lousy friends I've had all these years, this polluted thought, I can go from here to here in an instant. Or I can go from here to here spiritually. But we allow these toeholds to be established and temptation to take in. And that's what happens. Either we have a test that goes to triumph because God will not tempt us with evil. And he says any test he brings into our lives from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we can handle it. We can be strong through it. We can grow through it. It's part of the process of endurance because in that channel we talked about whether it was broken lines we saw on Monday, I have a choice to make. And God's going to throw a lot of suffering and trials and pain and tribulation into that process. It's part of our growth experience. But he'll not put enticements to evil. But it says here, Satan tempts us to tragedy. He wants to establish a habit pattern that moves us farther than we ever intended to go. I love uh, country gospel. And I love classical kind of a big space in between in there and I was at a cathedral's concert uh, back a while and uh, I got a tape and there's a song on that tape and the chorus says sin will take you farther than you ever intended to go some of you are farther today than you ever ever intended to go Unless this is a very unusual campus, some of you in your relationships are farther or have gone farther than you ever intended to go. Because that's what sin will do. It's step by step. Remember the story of Gulliver's Travels? Big Gulliver, little teeny people. How'd they capture him? They only had these little thin threads. He could take and he could break many of them. He fell asleep. What'd they do? They wrapped him up with all these little threads and he woke up and he couldn't move. Each step. Just before I came here on Monday, in fact, my mind wasn't really focused on Monday because my wife called me on the phone and said, need to pray for a very close friend of ours because he's 
going to be talking and confronting another very close friend in the next couple of hours. Two people in ministry, godly people. I got back from chapel and called in the afternoon this friend of mine and he told me about this man who's been in ministry, very prominent ministry for 17 years. Couldn't handle it and confessed to an affair that he'd had a year and a half previous. I called this friend of mine last night because he was going to get his family together and tell them the situation. This friend of mine said, I was there as support. My wife was there. He said, Bruce was worse than death. As his father began to tell his teenage children and one that's in junior high what he had done, his boy as a freshman laid on the floor and wept and wept. Pretty soon his sister laid on the floor and wept. Another sister laid on the floor and wept. The man got in the middle of his kids and laid there and wept and wept and wept. And his wife went over and tried to console them and she was weeping. And he said, I sat there and I wept and I wept. And then he said, you know, last night he said, I went to bed and I kept waking up and I kept walking into my children's rooms and I looked at them and I said, God, let me never forget what I saw this evening. Never let me forget it. And I said to him, let me tell you a little chorus that's been going through my mind. Sin will take you farther than you ever intended to go. Because a habit's formed. You know what a habit? It's something you do easily and you do it quickly. Some of you can move from here to here in your relationships in a matter of moments. Maybe it took you years to get there. In your thought life, you can move from one point to another quickly and easily. It can also be a positive. Because I have tried to make it a habit not to allow that thought to remain in my mind, to move it out immediately. A good habit doesn't have to be a bad habit. Then it talks about, let's stay on the spiritual channel, number seven, and break the stronghold. There's verses that are given there you need to look up because 1 Corinthians 2.16 talks about we have the mind of Christ. And Ephesians 4.22-24 talks about some of the things you're already talked about, to put on the mind of Christ and take off the mind of the flesh. Set your mind, it says there in Romans, as we've already seen, on the spiritual channel. Then you have to realize we're in a war. I mean, you can't forget every day when you get up, this is a day of war. I got to put my battle fatigues on. I got to put my helmet of salvation on. My renewed mind. I want to read some in God's word. That's why our quiet times and our devotional times with God are so important. Got to be involved in prayer. Got to realize I'm in a war. I got to identify the stronghold. And that's why it says in verse 3 there in 2 Corinthians 10, for we walk in the flesh, but we don't war in the flesh. I'm thankful for that. I'm walking around speaking to you in the flesh, but I'm not doing my battles in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Those things that are established, the mighty power of Almighty God, nothing in the universe can even come close to standing against it. That's what we have to work with. We have to identify these strongholds. As I've been speaking, as you sang, Lord, tell me what you want me to know and I'll obey. We were gonna have prayer before we began. I was gonna have you ask the Lord to speak to your heart, and if he did, to do what he tells you to do, but I didn't have to because you sang it over and over, and you sang it probably every one of you. Tell me what you want me to do. Show me what you want me to do, and I'll obey you. I'll do it. 
So now the responsibility is yours as we conclude here in a few moments. Maybe the stronghold is pride or lust or pity or lack of significance or lying or dishonesty or impatience or bitterness or moral issues, inferiority. There's all sorts of things. But you know, item C is very important. Got to want to change. The desire for the stronghold to be broken, to begin thinking like it tells us in Philippians 4.8 with pure thoughts. You know, I wrote down yesterday, speaking to myself as it was in the past, but I said, you may love your sin more than you love your Savior. Let me say that again. Do you love your sin more than you love your Savior? Of course you'd say, of course I don't. That's a stupid question. But is it really? Because if you don't desire it to be broken, it will never be broken. And it's hard to break. It's the hardest process I ever went through. It took me couple of years to get to the point where I felt that I had a semblance of victory. Do I rest on my laurels? No, every single day I constantly work at the battle of keeping my mind renewed. I used to pray 1 John 1, 9 so much it almost became like a prayer wheel. I could have put it on a stick and just twirled it around. I'm not a theologian. Maybe some of you can tell me afterwards, but if you don't repent, do you really confess? I confess, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just if give us cleansing. But I never really wanted to get rid of it. I wanted to get rid of the, the sense of guilt. But I didn't want to remove it. Why? I enjoyed it. My secret area. No one knew about it. My wife didn't know. My kids didn't know. My friends didn't know. My secretary didn't know. I knew. I tell you. When you have that desire that it be broken and you begin moving in that direction and you begin to sense the presence of God in your life, it's an awesome thing. You know, one of the tragedies of scripture, you know, David saw Samson, saw a woman, saw a body and wanted it. Godly family. I don't know why in the world they allowed him to do what he did and even encouraged him, it seemed. But the most tragic thing, 20 years later, you know, when he first saw the first woman until Delilah was 20 years. He had 20 years of pollution in his life when he met her. And remember after she cut his hair off in Judges 16:20, tragic verse. The Philistines are upon you. He woke up in his sleep, stretched a little bit and says, I'll go out and do as I've done before. I'll beat the snot out of these guys. Pow, pow, pow. Kill them like I kill the rest of them. And he was helpless. And it says, for Samson did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Not a tragedy. I mean, we can't lose our salvation. But is the presence of God so real in your life? You have that desire to know him and you sense his presence. So when there's an opportunity to do something evil, your conscience is such it's no longer seared. Your conscience is such that it does the job it's supposed to do to distinguish good from evil. Next, we have to pray and develop a hunger and thirst for God's word through this process of renewal. What's your prayer life like? That's probably been the biggest change in my life is the time I can spend in prayer and the enjoyment of prayer. In fact, when I used to think evil during these lull periods of driving in your car or trying to go to sleep or waking up or so forth, I start to pray, start talking to God. Satan kind of gets away pretty quick when you're talking to God. I didn't like to hang around and listen began to develop a deeper hunger for God's word. Philippians 3.10, as Paul said, to get to know him and the power of his resurrection, 
to fellowship with him, to memorize God's word, to ask in the name of Jesus that uh, this will take place. These are not steps. These are all part of a process. It's kind of like putting them all in a bowl and they're just there. And it's something that you don't do once. You just kind of do it all the time and you don't do it every day in every situation. But it's all part of the things that are available to us through this renewal process to break those strongholds, to think the way God wants us to think. The blood of Jesus Christ is a shield, it tells us in Revelations 12, 11. They overcome him, Satan, by the power of the blood. 1 John 4, 4, it says, we have overcome the evil one because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And then number seven, class, is a key. Avoid evil attractions. Make a covenant with your eyes. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. I tell you, I'm anti-movies, I'm anti-most TV programs, I'm not a legalist, but I got tired of listening to all the swearing and cussing. I don't care if it's a PG movie and even some PG movies, not PG-13s, you can't watch those without the cussing and swearing and the sexual aspects of it. We don't need it, folks. We don't need it. You don't need it. It doesn't move you in a spiritual direction, it moves you in a flesh direction. Magazines, I love Sports Illustrated, but I don't like this issue. I wouldn't look at it. I try to avoid it on the newsstand. The girl on the front page of Sports Illustrated can move you farther than you ever intended to go. And you can look and say, I just want the scores. I want the sports stories. We have things that come in our house now as advertisements that are unbelievable. It's awful. You live in it. We live in it. We can't get away from it. It's everywhere, and it's difficult. And you have to make a covenant with your eyes and your ears. Release your entertainment to the Lord and see where you go and what you do. Oh, I'm not saying that everything's bad. Of course it isn't. Reject Satan's thoughts. Believe in faith. You want a victory. Feel the void with God's word. See that thing, pray around? man said that to me several months ago about praying around. He said, I just pray around. Every thought to the obedience of Christ, that's what it says there in the fifth verse of Romans 10. Fellowship, serving, sharing your faith, the salt and light aspects. These are all part and partial of our involvement in spiritual things that we might think the thoughts that God wants us to think. And lastly, as we close, what about mental accountability? I heard a man speak the other day and he said I have a man in my church that gets with me once a month and he asked me four questions we pray together he says have you spent time in God's word and prayer the last month yes or no did you keep your thought life pure did you look at anything read anything listen to anything that you shouldn't have number three are you walking in total obedience to God and then number four have you lied about any of the above that's pretty good isn't it I'm meeting with the man tomorrow I'm going to ask him we don't live close to each other if we can get on the phone every 30 days and ask these questions to each other. Pray together. Then turn the page, or you're not turning your page, you're looking at the last aspect here. Repeat the process, don't give up. We're going to talk tomorrow about repeating, or Friday, about repeating the process as far as the organization of our life. We just keep repeating over and over again, day by day, moment by moment, as we go through the process. Number eight, it says Christ has to be central to our lives and everything. We have to love him with all of our hearts more than the other areas. 
And then that's that surrender of my thought life to him. Yes, Lord, here is my thought life. I want to keep my mind focused on the spiritual channel. Remember, young people, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And Satan wants to do everything in his power to prevent that plan from becoming a reality. To prevent you from being salt and light in the environment where you find yourself living. And he'll be more successful rather than less successful if he can keep your thought life on the flesh channel rather than the spiritual channel. And you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility for that renewal purpose. And I trust that you'll take this material and that you'll study it and work through it. And it's my prayer that God will use it in your life that you might begin moving further along in the process of Christ-likeness. Thank you.